Let's pray together. Till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. To that end, Lord, we pray you would speak to us powerfully. We pray you would speak to us clearly and that we would be a transformed people to the praise of your glory. In your name, amen. I learned this past week that Kim Kardashian and Kanye West spent 12 million dollars on their wedding. If you don't know who those two people are, don't worry. But to, to give you an idea as to how this celebrity couple reached that spend, Kim's wedding dress cost $500,000. Her shoes, 40000 The flowers, 136000 And the cake, 7000 the, the guests couldn't just attend the wedding. They had to undergo a, a beautifying process estimated to have cost $65,000 each. And they were divorced after six years. Now we, we chuckle at the irreconcilability between a $12 million spend on a wedding and a six-year wedding stint. But I'm convinced there is a lesson for us here. And that is that if the meaning of marriage is unknown, then the stability of marriage disappears. Throw all the money in the world at a wedding if the meaning of marriage isn't there then the foundation of marriage isn't there either. It's a castle built on sand. Uh, maybe you've noticed, as I have in, in recent years, that uh, big day wedding celebrations or designs seem to get more and more artistic by the year. And yet the meaning of marriage deteriorates by the day. It's surely why 42% of marriages end in divorce here in the UK. Because again, if you remove the meaning, you remove the foundation. We continue our series in Ephesians this morning. And the point of our passage today is this. Model your marriage on Christ and the church Model your marriage on Christ and the church. Why? Because the meaning of marriage is Christ and the church. Marriage was designed by God to be a breathing 
illustration, a living, breathing illustration of the commitment that Christ has toward his people. Now, you lot were out of Ephesians last Sunday, so give me a minute to get us back in. Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 tell us how the church came to be. Ephesians chapters 4 to 6 tell us how the church is to be. That is how we are to live, how we are to behave as recipients of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since chapter 4 verse 1, Paul has commended unity to us. He has commended purity to us. And in this week's passage and for the next two weeks, Paul is going to apply gospel living to various groups. Today to wives and to husbands, and then next time to children and to parents, and then the Sunday after that to servants and their masters. And his point to wives and husbands today is model your marriage on Christ and the church. Now, as we read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the illustration is actually Christ and the church, that marriage is the main thing in view, and that Christ in the church sort of is thrown into the passage as a way of clarifying the main reality, which is, which is marriage. As though Paul was writing this letter, and he was there with his pen in his hand thinking to himself, okay, marriage is like uh, uh, strawberries and cream. No, no, no. It's like um, chocolate and peanut. No, 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 no. It's like a sunset and the seashore. No, 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 no. Christ and the church. That's it, and he writes it down. No, no, we'd be forgiven for thinking that until we get to verse 32, where Paul says, this mystery, and that is the marital union between a husband and a wife, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Christ and the church is the reality. Marriage is modeled on that most wondrous relationship. And before we come and see that for ourselves here in these verses, I've got two preliminary points for us. And the first is this, our passage today is for everyone. For everyone in this room, single, engaged, married, widowed. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33 didn't come on a separate piece of parchment paper with the rest of of the letter. No, no, no. These verses were written to who? To the saints in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Not to some of the saints, but to all of the saints. Why? Because if the whole church is to walk in holiness, then the whole church need to know what God's standards for holiness are. And so you singles need to know what God's standards are for husbands and wives because you might see in their marriage what they can't see. As insiders, they have their own blind spots. And as an outsider, you might be able to see something that they can't see. And the day may well come when based on Ephesians 5 verses 22 to 33, you have to point it out. And you won't be able to do that unless you understand what God's plan and intention and standards are for Christian marriage. But the other point I need to make today is this. This passage is going to hold a mirror up to your soul. The more controversial a passage is, 
the more it shows us what's really lurking within. And it's interesting, this, this works both ways. It works for preachers and it works for hearers. See, if I were to spend this half an hour with a frozen smile on my face and spend the next 30 minutes telling you all what these verses don't mean, but I never got around to telling you what these verses do mean, then my heart would be exposed for that of a charlatan. Because a pastor who only preaches half of the truth is a whole fake. But this passage is also going to hold a mirror up to your soul as well. And listen, the extent to which you cringe, the extent to which you wince, is the extent to which you are conformed to the world and the flesh and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil hate these verses. But these verses are God's words. And I know you've read many books. This is the only book that reads you. Some of you might know that Venus and Serena Williams were raised in a Jehovah's Witness home. And not long after Serena was married, there was a documentary done on the Williams sisters. And she was asked about how her faith impacts her marriage relationship. And she said to the camera, what the Bible says about wives submitting to their husbands just won't work for someone like me. Well, friends, it must not and it cannot be so with us. This is God's word. And when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so let's approach this word now with great reverence and with great fear. Model your marriage, Paul says, on Christ and the church. How are we to do that? Well, number one, wives are to submit to their husbands. Look at verses 22 to 24 again. Paul writes there, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Model your marriage on Christ and the church, says Paul. And for that to happen, wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, notice Paul doesn't say all women are to submit to all men. Neither does Paul say wife submit to all husbands. Now, what Paul writes is wives submit to your own husbands. Model your marriage on Christ and the church, says Paul. And for that to happen, wives are to submit to their own husbands. And Paul grounds that command, you notice here in the passage, in both creation and in Christ. When Paul says there in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, he's referring there to God's ordering of creation, which you remember God saw and said that it was good not sexist. 
Uh, God purposely placed the sun in the center and the earth and the moon to rotate around it. You replace the moon for the sun and it's no longer good. We are incinerated. Uh, God intentionally separated the, the land from the sea and he said to the seas, thus far shall you come and no further. But today, in our fallen world, on account of some movement of the tectonic plate somewhere, when the sea does transgress that God-given boundary, it's no longer good, we drown. And today, when husbands bully their wives, and when wives usurp their husbands, it is no longer good, it is rotten. It is out of step out of touch with God's ordering of the creation of the cosmos. Marriages are incinerated and families drown. And when God made man in the image of God, he created him male and female, equal in dignity, equal in value, equal in worth, and yet called to different and distinct roles. This is not chauvinism, therefore. This is creationism. And not only is this just creationism, this is not just cultural, this is also Christological. Because again, Paul grounds his commanding Christ as well as in creation. Christ and creation. Verse 23 again, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And when they do, the one-of-a-kind relationship between Christ and the church is put on display for the world to see. And therefore, wives, instead of balking at this, receive this as an effective way for you to be a beacon of gospel light in a desperately dark world. If you apply this in your marriage, your light will shine before men because few things are more glorious and few things are more countercultural than the submission of the church to its head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, since we, since we moved here, uh, whenever Gloria has gone to get her haircut or whatever women do in those places, uh, typically the, the hairdresser or whoever will hear her accent and uh, she'll say, oh, where, whereabouts are you from? Uh, and she'll say, oh, I'm, I'm from the, the US. And they'll be like, oh, are you, are you just here visiting? No, 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 I, I live here. You live here? Oh, why? And, and immediately... A wide and ineffective door is flung wide open for the gospel of Christ. Why? Because our move here was hard for her. Many tears were shed, but Gloria submitted when I looked her in the eye and said, I believe that God is in this. And how predictable it would have been for a predicament like that to have ended in divorce. You want to go over there? I, I, I want to stay here. Let's go our separate ways then. You do you, I'll do me. 
Submission in a situation like that is a signpost to a relationship from an altogether different realm. And it's glorious. And there's nothing in the world like it at all. And so to you wives, you are struggling with what Paul is saying here. Listen to me. Realize the world-shaking potential that there is in your submission to your husband. This is not slavish obedience. Paul isn't saying that you can never disagree with your husband. He's, never, he's not saying you can never correct your husband. He's, never, he's not even saying that you can never lovingly, <clears throat> respectfully challenge your husband. There are times in which you must. But Paul is saying here that the posture of the soul is to be one of glad and happy submission. That's what will turn the head of unbelievers in a world that is drowning in feminism and chauvinism. You want to be an effective witness for Jesus? It starts in the home. And to those of you believing wives who are married to unbelievers, do let me say my heart goes out to you. It must be so hard. You've got to feel like it's either tension or compromise every day. I said a couple of weeks ago, didn't I, that, that marriage and family is hard enough when you're both on the same page, never mind when you're in different books. But listen, you two have an amazing opportunity because your unbelieving spouse will notice submission. He may not notice the, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but submission to him is countercultural and it will not go unnoticed. This is what the Apostle Peter said, wasn't it? Remember in First uh, Peter, he said, Wives, <clears throat> be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that is, even if they're not believers, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so we could spend all of our time uh, bemoaning the, the evils of our age today and, and whining about the destruction of marriage in our culture. But let's also recognize the unique potential there is when we put the relationship between Christ and the church on display because the light shines darker when the darkness increases. So model your marriage on Christ and the church, number one, wives are to submit to their husbands. But second, husbands are to love their wives. Now, I said at the beginning of, of this message that Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33 are controversial today. And the truth is, there has never been a time in which this passage hasn't been controversial uh, they're, they're controversial today because the wives of the 21st century, they wince at the way that they feel like it restricts women and it does restrict wives. It restricts them from that which is contrary to creation and that which is contrary to Christ's relationship with the church. But in the first century, it also restricted husbands and it restricted them from that which is contrary to creation and that which is contrary to Christ's relationship with his church. Back in the first century, uh, husbands were thought to have 
basically no marital responsibility at all. Infidelity was thought to be an inevitability. But the restrictions that Paul lays out for husbands here, they restrict husbands the way that railway tracks restrict a train. In other words, they make husbands more free, not less free. How free is a train in an open field? And so it is with these commands here for us husbands. They, they liberate us, <clears throat> they do not enslave us. The call to love is a call to live. And in verses 22 to 25, Paul shows us what it looks like for husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church. We're to love our wives sacrificially. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That when it comes to husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, Paul says to the husbands, husbands, <clears throat> do not take your cue from culture, take your cue from the cross. If, if you take your cue from culture, then you will love your wife when you feel like she deserves it. When she looks a certain way, when she treats you in a certain way, when she speaks to you in a certain way, and when she meets your standards according to your expectations. But men, listen to me, that is worldliness 101. It's selfish. Remember, husbands, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we hated him, not while we loved him. While we were spitting in his face, not worshipping at his feet. And while we were ignoring him, not while we were adoring him. While we were wretched rebels, not loyal subjects. That's when Jesus loved us to death. And that's when Jesus took our sin and our sorrow and made them his very own. And bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. So husbands, I don't care how reformed you are. I don't care how many Bible verses you know. If you will not lovingly sacrifice for your wife, you are no less worldly than the men who will be clubbing in Liverpool tonight. Sacrifice is the evidence of Christ-like love. So I ask you, what could you do to lovingly sacrifice for your wife? Could you sacrifice your time in order to help her in a certain way? Could you sacrifice your, your savings and to go all out on that next anniversary, even though it's not the big 3-0 or whatever it is, to make her feel special? Could you sacrifice your pride in coming to her and saying, sweetheart, I, I am sorry because I don't always get this right and I need you to forgive me and pray for me to start getting this right. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially and then also intentionally. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says that he, Christ, 
might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that it was for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross, despising its shame. And part of that joy was seeing what his suffering would produce in us, his bride, holiness, and a cleansed bride washed with the water of the word. That's probably code there for the word of the gospel, the message of the cross, which forgave us and beautified us, canceled our debt of sin and credited us with his righteousness, the the righteousness with which we'll appear before Christ on that great and glorious day when Christ returns to take us home. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride and with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. And we are then to love our wives sacrificially, intentionally and then also affect, uh, affectionately. Look at verse 28. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Love your wife sacrificially, affectionately, uh, rather intentionally, and then lastly, affectionately. Knowing that to cherish her is to cherish yourself. And to nourish her is to nourish yourself. Because we are one with her, just as the church is one with Christ. And men, what I want to say to us today is this. The more that you experience the nourishing, cherishing love of Christ, the more empowered you will be to nourish and to cherish your wife with that same love. We can only extend what we receive. And even to you single men or to you engaged men, this needs to start today. You need to nourish and cherish your own heart in the love of Christ before you'll be equipped to love and to cherish your wife. The only hope you have of loving Christ the way Christ loved the church is by experiencing his love every single day. You show me a man who feels loved by Christ and I will show you a wife that feels loved by her husband. So men, how can, we, how can we do that? Well, let me just commend one way for us as we close. By reliving the moment you first experienced Jesus' love for you. 
by recalling to mind, calling to mind that moment when the love of Jesus Christ went from being a cold concept to a warm coat in a blizzard. How precious did that grace appear the hour it first appeared. Uh, Last year was our 10th year anniversary. And this is not to uh, blow my own trumpet or make myself the hero of this story at all. Jesus is the hero of all of the stories uh, in all of the sermons. But with it being our our 10-year anniversary last year, uh, I I planned this weekend for us, uh, for us to relive and to remember our our, our, our wedding weekend. So we went back to the church we were married at and we stayed in the same hotel we stayed in. And, and the whole point was, was for us to relive that first marriage weekend because when you relive, you re-experience. And when you remember, it becomes that much more real to us. And men in the same way, husbands in the same way, we are to relive the moment we experienced the saving love of Christ in order for us then to extend what we ourselves have received. Because only then will we be empowered. Only then will we be equipped, re-inspired to love as we have been loved, to cherish as we have been cherished and to nourish as we have been nourished in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a glory it would be if this church did that, if all of the wives submitted to their husbands, if all of the husbands loved their wives like Christ loved the church, then we would be that beacon of gospel light in a desperately dark world. Model your marriage on Christ and the church. Amen. 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 Well, let me pray for us and then we'll come to sing. And then you can take your seats and we'll come around the Lord's table together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us through and through for those times we get this so wrong. Lord, when we as husbands use what you have given to us to dominate our wives and for those times when that same authority has been usurped, Lord, we pray you would cleanse us And Lord, we pray that you would restore us. And we pray, Father, that you would make the marriages here in this room more and more closer to the design of Christ and the church. Lord, would you help us? And Lord, would you go on shaping shaping us and fashioning us that as the years go on, we would get this more and more right and not more and more wrong in a world that is so desperately confused about what your plan is for sexuality and for marriage and for the homes in this world. And so Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing a great hymn to respond to this, and then we'll come around the Lord's table together. Let's worship together.